for those of you that are uh, just joining us this time around and or have been out for some time, you know that we've been going through the book of Galatians, and those of you that don't, well, now you do. And uh, Galatians, as we started at the beginning of the year, when we started Galatians, what we wanted to do was to present the gospel in the form in which it was to be presented. Paul had already planted churches throughout Galatia. Galatia is a region, kind of like the Inland Empire is a region of cities. That's what Galatia was. Paul had gone there to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, first of all to the Jews in the synagogues, and as they kicked him out, then he went into the the Gentile world. And these churches that he planted in this region were strong. They were committed. They they knew who Jesus Christ was. They had no clue. I shouldn't say no clue, but they didn't really have a whole understanding of the law or the testaments of Moses. What they knew is Jesus Christ died on the cross, died for their sins. Paul showed them through the Old Testament what a sinner looks like by comparing him to God. And so when people saw and heard the message, but they repented and they were baptized and they became part of the family of God. And so as he continued to move on from city to city, he heard from some people that there was somebody else coming behind them professing to be from Jerusalem. Now these people in Jerusalem apparently were from the church of, well, First Jerusalem Baptist Church or First Jerusalem, whatever church it is, uh, of uh of, of Jerusalem, and James was the pastor there. Now, they had said that James had sent them to tell them, well, that's good that you guys have committed your life to Christ. That's good that you guys have been committed to serving Jesus Christ. However, salvation is for the Jews. And so in order for you to be totally saved and completely saved, you must follow the traditions of the law, mainly circumcision. That was the whole case that they were working on right here. And we'll see a little graphic picture of it as we go along. And so when Paul heard this, he was livid, and he wrote this letter. And if you just want to back up a little bit with me to Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians 1, Paul does the introductions, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And he doesn't give any commendation, you know, stating that they're doing well, they're doing good, and glad to hear, or whatever the case is, as he does in all the other epistles. He just lays right into them in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And then he says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, but even if I, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul says, if there's anyone in the congregation, if anyone comes from the outside, if anyone is coming to you and sharing with you that there's more to salvation than the cross of Jesus Christ, then that person needs to be cursed and accursed. The Greek word there is anathematized. And it is to be cursed upon cursed and then cursed again, thrown in the ground, stomped on, beat up, picked back up again, and then cursed. Damned to all eternity. And Paul says, do not let another gospel come in because anything beyond grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone is not of the gospel. We're going to find out today, we're going to find out that the gospel is not a suggestion. The gospel is not something that I share with you. The gospel is not something that we, uh, we just kind of fellowship together and kind of hopefully you'll get it from my actions. We're going to find out today that it's not a suggestion. And so for the first couple of chapters, Paul is just laying into them as far as who he is. Look, I know what legalism is. I know what the law is. 
I was a, Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day from Benjamin, you know, you know, the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest clan, the most, the clan that really didn't matter much, but became very powerful. I, I, I was kosher. I, I know everything about the law, forwards and backwards. Now, if anybody is going to be talking to you about the law, it should be me. But it is by grace that you're saved, in, through faith that you're saved, in Christ that you're saved alone. The law, as he, he showed us, it was to be a tutor, was to show us that this is, you can't live this on the outside. You can't live the law on the outside. You have to live it through the Holy Spirit from the inside. And once the Holy Spirit is in you, then what happens is that He empowers you to live the life that God had intended for you to live. And it's always been by grace. And here's, here's an interesting fact. And you may know this, but you probably never really kind of made uh, much of attention, paid much of attention to it. But when Paul was preaching the gospel, and Peter was preaching the gospel, and the apostles were preaching the gospel, they didn't have what we have today. They didn't have the Romans road, which is a, a form of presenting the gospel and evangelism. They didn't have the four spiritual laws, uh, which is another tool that people use. They didn't have evangelism, evangelism explosion. They didn't have any of these other tools. All they had was what they had in their hands, which was the Old Testament. The Old Testament has always presented the gospel clearly. Now, I don't know what's happened in our culture. Well, I, I shouldn't say I don't know what happens. But our culture has, and our churches have kind of convoluted and mixed it up a little bit. And, and so we have all these various ways of what the gospel means. And the gospel is not feeding the hungry or the homeless. You know, though we should feed the hungry and the homeless, the Bible talks that we should care for those that are weaker than us, that have less than us. We should do that. The gospel message is not me telling you that you have a purpose in life, which you do, by the way. The Bible says that you have a, God has a plan for you. He has an intention for you. He has designed you for a very specific plan. And that's true. But the gospel message is not just coming to, together to church and hear somebody scream and yell and rant at you for about an hour. The gospel message is not the music. The gospel message is clear. And it's very clear as to what it is. It is salvation through Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. And I'll share with you a little bit about that here in just a little bit. So this is why Paul was livid. He says, you guys are bringing in all this outside stuff, stuff that really you shouldn't be doing this. And he says, and I don't know why you want to go to that part, the slavery part. You have been set free from that. And you don't even know the traditions. You don't even know the commandments. I mean, I'm sure you've learned them because I taught you from the Old Testament the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's always been through faith, righteousness by faith. Abraham, Paul goes into this historical lesson, goes back to the Old Testament, and he says to us that Abraham, it was, it was counted to him, it was given to him, it was imputed to him that he was righteous, not because of what he had done, but because of God's grace. It's always been by faith. He responded in faith. And when he responded in faith, Grace was applied to his life. And throughout the Old Testament, we've seen that God is always working by faith in individuals. As today, in the Old Testament, they look forward to the time of Messiah. And from the, from the time of Messiah to now, we look backwards, and it all converges at the cross. And so Paul is adamant about getting this message across. He's, he's telling them, you know, that this is what you, you need to focus on is the cross itself. And then in chapter 4, after he kind of yells at them for a while, he's, he's sharing with them a little bit about who he is. 
and what he, what he intends for them to come to know and, and how it is that they should know Jesus Christ. And, and he shares his heart with them and he gives them, you know, I, I wish that you would, would, would look at what it is that you're doing. And, and maybe he says, maybe I've wasted my time. This labor pain that I've been in through. And he, he starts talking as a mom. The, the pains and the anguish that it brings me for, for, to hear that you have, are trying to add more to this gospel message. And beloved, there are a lot of people that'll come to you and tell you, well, I'm glad that you're saved. I know, I know it's happened in my life that the moment I got saved, it seems like everybody wants to come to tell me, oh, but you have to do this or you have to do that. And, and there are certain things that you must do. You, one of the biggest ones is you have to come to our church because that's where you will honestly be saved. You need to speak in a certain language or certain tongues. You need to do some certain rituals and certain, you have to be baptized. We talked about that last week. Or you must take the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, and those things will give you and guarantee you the salvation of your soul. And Paul is hurt. Paul is in, in ag. After he yells at them for a while, he comes to them like a mom and says, you know, after all these labor pains, after all that I've done and given you, I can't believe you're going back there. And so last week we looked at what God looks at, how he looks at people that distort the gospel. And I shared a little bit about that with you. And today I'm just going to go from verses 7 through 12. And, um, and I'm not going to go over the first few verses much, except for uh, just to touch on how these all relate. But in verses 7 of chapter 5 to verse 12, Paul says this, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those, un I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture. I know it's difficult to even read, let alone try to understand. And I pray, Father, that you give us direction through your word. You give us confirmation through your word, because your word is all that we have. I pray, Father, that we do not bring out, bring in any outside sources, anything else but what your word states. We, we hold a high value of who you are. We hold the supremacy of the gospel and of the message and the word that you have given us. We know man's rightful place, and we know what the church has been built to do. So, Father, we ask that you take those principles, those realities in our life, as we go through this portion of Scripture. Thank you once again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Paul comes to them, and he says, you know, I, I wish. He says, you were running well. Running is a good picture of what Paul likes to use. It's as you're running, you're doing well, you're walking and you're going in the right direction and you're exerting your energy, Paul is saying. He likes using this analogy and he's done it before in other portions of scripture. And he says, you, you were doing so well. And then all of a sudden, it seems like somebody just tripped you up. Who bewitched you? Who hindered you? As a matter of fact, in a few verse, uh, the chapters before, he says, who bewitched you? He's asking, you were just bewitched in a sense where it's like somebody came in and took your spirit out, which can happen. We talked about that last week. You cannot lose your salvation. But it's like if somebody came in and did that and, and caused you to look at this gospel in a different manner, who is doing this? And he's not asking for a response. He's, he's pretty much talking rhetorically. He's saying, you've got to focus on what it is that they're saying. Does it align with Scripture? 
Does it align with what the Bible says? And, and here's one of the problems that we've had in the past, and, and maybe you have been uh, uh, probably talked to or, or it's, been come up, it's come up in your uh, life as well, where somebody will bring up a scripture verse and say, you see, that's what it says right here, without taking it and looking at it, what it says within the chapter or with, with, within the book or how it talks about on the other verses and what the other chapters and other verses are saying. We cannot take one verse and make a doctrine out of it. We cannot just take one verse and, and just because we like what it says, that's what we're going to do. We have to look at it in the context of the whole book. This is why when we started going through the book of Galatians, I, I shared with you guys from the very beginning who Paul was, what the place was at, what was going on within the churches, and, and just the, uh, all the stuff that was going on within the area and who, what Paul was going up against. So we can have a background as to why it is that Paul would even say, you have fallen from grace. Now, people have taken that verse, like we talked about last week, and said, you see, you can lose your salvation because Paul even says, you have fallen from grace. And without getting into much detail about that, what Paul is basically saying, grace was never really, you've never even had it. Though it came to you, you denied it or rejected it, and therefore, grace is no longer available to you. Going back over all those verses, we, we'll see how that, that makes sense now, and it, and applied to the rest of Scripture, there is no such thing, as my brother just said a little while ago, of being unchosen, of being uncalled, of being unborn or reborn. There's no such thing as being uncommitted, uh, excuse me, uh, or, or, you know, just losing your salvation. Once you're born again, once you're regenerated, you cannot be unregenerated. That's just the given. The problem is, is that a lot of people have been bewitched or fooled or People have cut out in front of you, and, and, and you're following a different gospel. People are following a different gospel. And so what Paul says here, he says, you know, I want to show you something. I want this to be clear in your minds, because I have a commandment for you. You see, there are false teachers out there, and they'll hinder you from the truth. So the first thing I want to share with you, if you pull out your outlines, is that the gospel message is a command. The gospel message is a command. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who did this? And, and Paul is saying that this is a command. It, it, and when you understand that it is not a suggestion, I am commanded to proclaim the gospel. You are commanded to obey. Now, whether you do that or not, it's still a command. And as God continues, he says, as he, as he continues to reach the people and share the gospel through other uh, preachers that are preaching the gospel message, the gospel message is always about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Always. Paul stated it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Jesus Christ, here's the gospel in a nutshell, died, buried, and resurrected. And then appearing to up to 500 people. One day to return to reign as king. That is the gospel message. But we have to understand, what, what did he mean by that? The gospel message, well, first of all, in Mark 13, 10, the Bible tells us that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. He's not suggesting that. In Mark 16, he says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And, and you can almost imagine Jesus telling the disciples, Okay, I want you to preach the gospel. All right, here we go. And, uh, well, what do we say? Peter is probably saying, Oh, I know what to say. I know what to do. I know. And he probably stumbled through the whole thing. Nathaniel, he's more methodical. He's thinking, You know, maybe we should have some sort of a system. Maybe we should have some sort of a, a tool. You know, he's probably the first one that came up with the four spiritual laws. I don't know. But they never, ever had any other, any other tool except for the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is clear. The Old Testament is clear that God is holy. 
holy, holy, as Isaiah recognized him in the, in the, in the temple. We know that he is pure. We know that he's creator. We know that he is the father of all creation. We know that he cannot look upon evil. He, we know that he cannot look upon sin. His eyes are too pure. We know that every prophet that had an encounter with God, they all trembled at his presence, at his voice. And we know that Moses went up into the mountain and when he came down, his, he was just glowing with the presence of God. We know that the, that God himself, he, he does not allow people to do what he's not going to allow to do. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of his kingdom. We know that God is, is pure, and, and I just go on and on showing that God himself cannot look upon sin. And as Peter had proclaimed the gospel, he proclaimed the gospel and he started with God and he shared with them Jesus Christ. And then he said, you killed him. And the people that Peter was preaching to said, what do we do? And he didn't say, well, let me see how many of you guys can raise your hand. Let me see how many of you guys are going to come forward. We want to get to know you. He said to them, repent was a commandment. Repent and be baptized. When Stephen gave the, his gospel presentation, same thing, went to the beginning, who God was, what Jesus Christ did, and his outcome was a little bit different. He was killed. He was martyred. Every time the gospel is pro proclaimed, especially in the New Testament, they go back to the Old Testament, pointing on who God is. And then what the apostles did and the pro uh, proclaimers do is they, ex they, they expose man's sin. Man is deceitful. Man is sinful. The heart is wicked beyond cure. There is no one who seeks after God. No, not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've, we come to this place where we're at enmity with God. We, in, in essence, hate God. We don't want God intruding into our lives. We don't, we're not seeking God. There's no one who seeks God. And so God is holy, and because he's holy, we see that, and our sin causes us, like Adam, to run away. And it's always been that way from the very beginning. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, I know that my, my brother-in-law, he's seeking. I know he's seeking. He's always asking questions. Beloved, don't be fooled. No one seeks God. No, nobody does. It is God that does a supernatural work in that person's life to cause him to be born again. You know, people are seeking the benefits of God. People are seeking the, the relief that God offers. People are seeking the peace that they know that comes from God. People are seeking the release of the guilt and the shame that God can offer. People want to go to heaven. They do. Only problem is that they don't want God to be there when they get there. I don't want God telling me what to do. You know, can I get all this stuff with that, that? Can I just get, you know, all that stuff without having to, but sacrifice myself? Is that what you're saying? I have to carry a cross? I have to be, uh, you know, that type of a person where people are going to ostracize me? Do I have to be that kind? That's the gospel message. Because the gospel message, it, it, it defines who you are. And because it defines who you are, it divides people within your midst. And beloved, I'm sorry to say this, and maybe I'm not because Jesus Christ himself said this. You know, I didn't come to bring peace. You know, on Christmas, when he's seeing peace on earth and mercy mild, that's not what Jesus Christ came to do. As a matter of fact, he says, I have come to bring a sword. I have come to bring division. You make a stand. And the moment you make that stand, it does get divisive. It does get divisive. It defines who you are, and it divides those that aren't on that side. 
And the problem is, beloved, for us, in this culture, we're being divided all the time. This culture has been dividing us from the very beginning, but even more so within the last couple of years. And this last year, well, you know, it's, it's been divided even more so. And this division that's happening, and it's happening just politically, it's happening culturally, but you know, the, the evangelical church just seems to be getting on board with that. Beloved, if I'm going to, if I'm going to offend anybody, I'm going to offend you with the gospel. I'm going to tell people that, you know, without Jesus Christ, you're going straight to hell. That's all there is to it. I can't change that. I can't, I just, all I can do is tell you that unless you are born again, that's where you're going to end up at. And you know what the bad thing about that is? Not only are you going to be ending up there, but you're going to take your children there as well. And anyone else that you love because you will not submit to God's grace. It's a command. And, and man is, is evil and he's wicked, but, and that's our problem. We're trying to get to God with our own will. But what happens here is that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. That's why many of you are here today, because you know that Jesus Christ is Messiah. You know that he's the one that died on the cross for you. You know that he's the one that has taken away your sin. He's relieved you from that sin. He's removed that sin from you. And basically what he did is is he imputed his righteousness onto you and has taken your sinfulness and he imputed it upon himself. And he's made you righteous he's justified you and and my response should be a a life of gratitude a life of servitude my response is and trying to be a life of serving who jesus christ is because of what he did for me i can't stand in the presence of god without jesus christ i cannot stand before his presence because i know who i am but i also know that jesus christ died on the cross for me And if this is happening within your heart you know that there needs to be a change something has to change and stop blocking that stop saying no to what you know and i'm telling you this because this is a command from god not from me but from god in the next in acts chapter 6 and the word of god continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied multiplied greatly in jerusalem and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith obedient to the faith is a command understanding and following a command An act of confession, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, is an act of obedience of the gospel, which is a command, and it's it's something that we are to follow. In Romans chapter 2, this is the same kind of language that he uses in verse 8. For those who are self-seeking do not obey the truth. Why? Because I was self-seeking at one time. I wanted glory for myself. Of course I wanted forgiveness of sin. Of course I wanted the, the shame and the guilt to be taken away. Of course I wanted peace in my life. Of course I wanted to go to heaven but I was self-seeking and not obeying the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. And that is the gospel, folks. Yes, God is holy. And that should bring fear and terror and and cause you to, to, to tremble. It should, because if we're not converted, if we're not regenerated, then there's fear and wrath that is to come. But thanks be to God, Paul says in Romans 6, 17, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were commanded once again. It calls again to obey. It calls again to obedience, a call to slavery. You're called to be a slave of Christ and a slave of righteousness. In Romans 15, 18, this is not in your outlines, but it says this, "For, for I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience 
by the word and deed. And it's a matter of bringing people to obedience, not to my call, not to my whims and wishes of what I, I want you to do, but what the word of God says. In Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and on, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. There it is again, according to the command of the eternal God. What is that command? That Jesus Christ died on the cross. The gospel is a command. The gospel, in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, and I'll conclude with this, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. You know, beloved, that verse right there, if you want to write it down, I'd like for you to go back to it. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It should bring you compassion, to those that you know that are not obedient to the faith, obedient to the gospel. It should bring you, you know, this, this hurt, this compassion of people that are uh, maybe even maligning you, people that are against you, people that you know are, are, are fighting against you, people that you, you believe might hate you or dislike you for whatever reason. There is no peace in their heart. And, and you come to see a verse like this, that there is this suffer of punishment, of eternal destruction that is going to come to their uh, to, to them. If they don't, repent. Repentance has always been to the command of the gospel. Repentance has always happened. And, and it always happens when the gospel message is proclaimed. And it's always been proclaimed through the Old Testament. Now we have other tools that we can use. But we have to focus on what the gospel message is. Number two, the gospel message is clear. The gospel message is clear. This persuasion, Paul says, is not from him who calls you. He's talking about the guys that are trying to persuade them to be circumcised, to follow the traditions, the ceremonial laws, all those things, as we said before, that were symbols of the yet to come. They were symbols of the Lord's Supper. They were symbols of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb. There was Pentecost was a symbol of the power of the Holy Spirit that was to, to fill each individual, each Christian. There were symbols. Every one of those, if you go back and you look at the, the grain offering and the wheat offering, if you look at the first fruits offering, if you look at all the, the, the traditions of the law, if you look at all those, they were all symbols pointing to Jesus Christ. And you see what happens with, with false teachers or those that want to take you away from that uh, grace alone gospel is that they hinder the truth and they also represent God and they don't come from God. They, they, they act like if they do. They even talk like if they do. They might have credentials as if they do. The only credential that you need, beloved, is the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? And so we, we follow the Word of God. And, and, and the person that is unregenerated, the person that cannot understand the things from God. And there are a lot of people that, that love God. There are a lot of people that say, well, I, I believe, as I told an individual just recently. He says, I, I believe. I says, well, that's good. So, I mean, I should be making it to heaven. Well, uh, you know, that's, that's good that you believe, but don't the demons believe as well? Are they going to be in heaven? If they shudder at the fact, at least they shudder. At least they, they, it, it stirs within them this fear. And, and, and we, sometimes we don't even shudder at our own sin or the sin that we see around us. 
You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly. They are foolishness. It's, it's all dumb. It's like, yeah, whatever. That's your truth. That's, I don't even want to hear it. It's folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. An, a natural man, an unregenerated person, he, he cannot understand it. He's an enmity with, with God. He, he, is, he opposes God. He's not seeking God because he's a natural man. And this natural man is, is opposed from God, and, and he doesn't want anything to do with God. As a matter of fact, in Romans 8, 7, he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. The natural man can't. The natural heart, the unrepentant sinner, can't listen. It cannot submit, because that transformation has not happened in his life. In James chapter 4, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And what we've done in our culture is we've allowed a lot of this culture relevance to seep within the church. And, and it comes in, and, and, and so now we're, we're seeing the effects of all these years that it's been trying to get into the church. We're starting to see this in the churches themselves. Where they say, you know, we, we don't want to preach doctrine. We don't want to preach uh, hell. We don't want to preach against sin. Because we don't want to offend people that might come to our church that are seeking God. And the premise is already flawed. The Bible tells us no one's seeking God. However, these churches, and, and you know, to be honest with you, this is kind of where we were when we first started our ministry. I didn't want to offend anyone. I didn't. And I, of course, I'm not that kind of a confrontational type of person. I'm, I'm really not, you, you know. But when it comes to the Word of God, it it, it says what it says, and, and and we've become friends with the world, and we've allowed these things into our life, into our churches, into our body. And so the message of the gospel is clear. The message of the gospel is clear, and and, and it doesn't need any additional information. You don't need anything else. It's by grace alone, by in faith alone, through Christ alone. It's only through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Number three in the back of your outlines, the gospel message is complete. The gospel message is complete. The gospel message does not need my intelligence, doesn't need my uh, slides, it doesn't need my acrostics, it doesn't need my ABCs, one, two, threes. It, it doesn't need any, all it needs is the truth being told. God is holy, I'm not. And because I'm not holy, Jesus Christ died for my sins to take away that unholiness that I had. And Jesus Christ gave me his holiness. And therefore, now I live for Christ. I no longer live. I have crucified myself. And therefore, I no longer live. But it's Christ who lives through me. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul uses a very simple illustration by saying a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he's saying, you bring anything else into the gospel, anything, even if it's as little as tiny as leaven. Leaven, I'm sure most of you know, is, is yeast. It's what they put into the dough to make it rise. And it, it infects the whole, uh, the whole dough of bread, and it comes out as a loaf of bread for us. Now, when Jesus said this to his disciples, the disciples knew right off the bat, well, we know he's not talking about bread, even though we just fed everybody with a bunch of bread. Because Jesus Christ even told them, he says, uh, watch, out, uh, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When he said that to them in uh, Matthew 16, 6, they knew that that's not what he was talking about because in 1612, later on, he says, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, 
but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven is always an infiltrating factor. Leaven always uh, corrupts. Leaven always comes in and messes things up just a little bit, just a little bit. And in every believer, in every Christian, if we allow just a little bit of leaven within our lives, a little bit of leaven, I appreciate what Devon said this morning when he says, we're going to show a movie. And, you know, of course, it's not going to be appropriate. It's, it's unappropriate. I mean, how did you put that? It, it's, it's, not going to be a, it's not going to be a bad movie. Okay, we're going to do the best we can because we want to keep the leaven out of our songs, of our music, of our message, of our lives. You know, beloved, and this infects, when it infects you, it infects everyone else around. Paul called this gangrene. It's, it's, if, he, if he was here today, he'd probably use the, the term of cancer. It just starts to eat up everything within it. And sometimes not right away. It takes time, and it takes time, and it takes time. See, they understood that that's not what he was talking about. They underst- he understood that. And so when, when Jesus starts to talk about, uh, excuse me, when Paul starts to talk about the, the, the disciples, and, 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 and he starts telling them that the disciples in Galatia, you, you know, don't, don't let this in. This tradition, all these things that they're trying to infiltrate the church, you got to get them out. Get them out and go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they're trying to give you something else, even if it was an angel, you know, I'm even going to go as far as saying, even if I try to tell you something different, that person needs to be cursed. Cursed for all eternity. In the book of Jude, let me ask you to turn there. The book of Jude, it's, it's closer to the end. It's right before the book of Revelation. And uh, in Jude, there's only one chapter, so, but I'll say chapter 1. And it's in your outline, verse 11. It says this, Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. There is always this Balaam's error, there's always this, this underlying factor that people are trying to get you to turn or to change or to switch or to follow them. And, and he says here, you know, that they were trying to, that these people that are infiltrating the church that Jude had, they're trying to infiltrate the, the, the church in such a way for their own gain. Look at verses 12 and 13. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. These are people that would come to the church and they would fellowship. These love feasts were always these fellowship feasts where people would bring food and they would gather together and, and they'd come and then infiltrate. And, and they come to these love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up from the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. I remember I reprimanded this one young man, this leader of a church. I says, you know, you're, you're not doing, that's not right. It's unbiblical. You shouldn't, and I, and I kind of spelled out the things that he was doing. He says, well, you can't do that. You can't, you can't judge me. He says, those, that's what you think. I said, well, let me show you what the Word of God says. I'm being nice. I'm being gentle according to what the Word is saying. Look at verses 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of His holy holy ones to execute judgment on all to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness. They have 
they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There's severe judgment upon people that are trying to distort the gospel message. And we have to be wise and we have to be looking at what the gospel message is telling us. Number four, the gospel message gives confidence. The gospel message gives confidence. Paul says this, I have confidence, by the way. So I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Paul says, his, his, his time is coming. What it is that he has been doing, judgment's going to fall on that person. And sometimes we look at some of these false prophets, and some of you probably know some, and, 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 and wonder, where did they get that idea from? And they'll take a verse and they'll run with it. And that's where they get their ideas from. And it's always been through the Word of God that we can look at and gauge and to put up against and see, okay, how does that line up? And I've said this before that, you know, we have, our, we have more access now to the Bible than ever before. You have, I'm sure, on your phone a Bible app with your favorite Bible translation. And I'm just going to say that if, if you have your phone, phone open right now and you're looking at it, I'm just going to count that you're not playing Candy Crush. Okay, I haven't heard any bells and whistles go off yet, so okay. I'm just hoping that you're looking at your favorite translation. But even with the access that we have of God's Word, it is amazing how many people don't know the Word of God. And we want, to pe- we want to be people that hold the Bible up and say it is sufficient. It is all that we need. During our revival that we're going to have in June and July and August. We're going to give away uh, 150 Bibles. We're going to give away Bibles to those that come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, these are just these little rinky-dink Bibles. They're, I think they're leather-bound or uh, faux leather. I'm, I'm not really sure. They look really nice. They're thin-lined, and they're, uh, they're Bibles that we're going to give and present to those that are committing their life to Christ in that time. Bill is going to be overseeing that um, the prayer ministry, and he's going to be sharing with you next week on some of the things that we should be preparing for, especially as revival comes, and the things that we're going to be expecting of those that are praying for the ministry. And all we ask you is, first of all, check your heart. Well, I'll let him take care of that. Yeah, so he's, he's you give my message away. Stop it. <laughs> and, and, but but if, you, if you desire to be a part of that ministry, I'd like for you to see uh, Bill, and he'll give you a, a volunteer form. We need some t-shirt sizes. I mean, there's just a lot of other things. I just don't want to get into that that we want to do. But the bottom line is this is that, as Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. I have confidence because the Holy Spirit, I've seen what God has done in your life. I've seen how it's, He's transformed you. I see where you used to be at. Though I don't know you personally, you have shared that with me. I, I see what, what you have become. But more importantly, I see what God is doing in your life and how He's changing you. And the one who is troubling you, those that are trying to separate you, they will be held accountable. I, I fumble and stumble all the time, and sometimes I say things that I, I shouldn't. And, I, and there's sometimes that people just come up to me in my face, and I, I, I sometimes just don't get it right. And I have to step back and say, okay, Lord, forgive me. You know, but I know that whatever this person is going through, and whatever they're trying to throw at me, it's not personal. I need to have compassion on that person. And I need to com- continue praying for him instead of, well, you get the picture. What did I say last week? Lay holy hands on him? Yeah, we're not going to do that. They will, fi- they will face this judgment. They will. In, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 2, again, turn with me to Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 2. And, and this is, these are the letters. These are the letters to the churches, the seven churches. And in chapter, chapter 2, verse 12, he says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. The sharp two-edged sword is the, is the vision that John saw of the Son of Man with these eyes that were blazing fire, with this tongue that was a two-edged sword, with the roar of this roaring water, with his feet that were burnished in bronze. This is the picture with long white hair. This is, this is, if you look at this description of Jesus Christ, that's who he is. Not this lovable, you know, blue-eyed, long-haired, rosy-cheeked type of guy with a little, little lamb. Oh, I love you. Type of, that's not Jesus. He has a double-edged sword. And we know the double-edged sword is his word coming out of his mouth. And it cuts on both sides. First, it cuts me and it cuts you down the dividing marrow and, and down into the spirit, into the bowels of my life, of my, my whole body to, to bring this gut-wrenching truth and, and, and to show me the sin of my life. And, and it makes me sick just to think that I even thought or even said or even did what I did. That's the word of God that is coming. And he tells this church, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas. Antipas was a man that was, that was martyred for the faith. My faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And he says, you live in this place that is, I mean, this description, he might be saying, I know you live in San Bernardino. Satan dwells there. It's just filled with all this hatred and ugliness and, and garbage. And he says, and I know how you're holding fast, even at the martyrdom of this saint of mine. However, he says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam and taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. The teaching of Balaam, mentioned here and also earlier, in, in the, as we talked about, is, the be, is being in the religious business for money. That's what it is. Those who are at this church hold to the teaching of this individual. And this individual, though this, if you remember the story, uh, the, he was called to, to bring a curse upon Israel and uh, as they were conquering the promised land, and the donkey spoke and said, why do you hit me? It, it's the Old Testament story. And it's just, you, you know, it's because I see the, the fl flaming. So, you know, it is, it's an interesting story if you haven't read it. The donkey is talking to the man and the man is asking him questions and the donkey responds. And instead of saying, what? A donkey's talking. He keeps talking to this donkey. And I've always said, if God can use a donkey, he can use me. I, I know that. And he says, so also you have some who hold on to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Again, another group of people that started to infuse the church with false doctrine. And he says in verse 16, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. The word of God has a lot to say about false doctrine. And as, as I said, I've said many, many times before, doctrine is important. It's very important. And I, for instance, if somebody would come up to me, and, and I've heard this before, you know, I don't need doctrine. All I need is Jesus. My first question would be, well, which Jesus? Well, the Jesus of the Bible. Well, which Bible? You're talking about the Bible of the Muslims? You know, where Jesus is a prophet like Muhammad and Allah is their God? Is that the Jesus you're talking about? Or are you talking about the Jesus of the Mormons? You know, the, the Jesus of the Mormons. Jesus and Satan are both brothers. 
You know, they're, they're twins and they're fighting this thing out with God. Or maybe you're talking about the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, which they don't claim him to be God, but they claim him to be a good teacher. And that's it. Or are you talking about the Holy Scriptures? That Bible, where Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, where he was born of a virgin and he lived the sinless life to become the sacrificial lamb that atoned for my sin. For that Jesus that, that gave his life on the cross as, as a propitiation, he satisfied the legal system of God. Once and for all, when he said, the telestai, it is finished. The Jesus that imputed his righteousness upon me and my sinfulness was imputed upon him. That Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, that Jesus. Oh, okay, you don't need doctrine? Beloved, we need doctrine. Because right doctrine equals right uh, actions. It does. And I can, go, I can go as far as saying that good doctrine, right doctrine, it, it defines who you are. And when it defines who you are, it divides. It defines and divides. Because look at what he says to the next church. He says, and to the angel of the church of Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a, a, fire, a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that you, your latter works exceed the first. You're a good church. You're, you're holding on and things are going great. I mean, you're, you're doing this and your latter works, the patient endurance is, is overseeing your love and your faith. But then he says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Once again, Paul says, you know, I have this against you. Excuse me, Jesus says, I have this against you. And by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is the first and only time that a woman pastor is mentioned in the Bible. And it's not a good thing. He says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her. I will throw her into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works." There seems to be this permeation of, of leaven that has entered into the churches because of our culture that has been allowing women to be pastors of churches. And it started back in the 60s when just a small percent of the churches had women pastors. But now it's like everybody agrees with it. It does. You know, and, and, and I, I, want, I once said, I, I do not permit a woman to teach or to execute authority over a man. And I right away got stopped and said, well, who do you think you are? I said, well, I'm a nobody. <laughs> I'm a nobody. But that's what the Word of God says. You know, I can't circumvent that. I can't somehow reconcile it. I mean, you know, people do all these theological gymnastics to make it work. But it's the Word. And beloved, I, I make no, I, I make no apologies for it. We all have our roles. If you were here for Mother's Day, you know that my position on women in the church, it's, it's a high value. Every time the Bible is spoken about women, and, and every time it talks about a woman, it always raises them up. Now, there's one verse that many people in the world use, and they know it. Everybody knows it. They don't even know who said it. They don't even know where it's at, but they quote it. Amen? That a wife should be submitted to her husband. Now, if you understood what that meant, I try to tell people, they don't want to hear it. But everywhere in the Bible where a woman is spoken of, she's always elevated. Even Rahab, even Bathsheba, you know, except for in this case here. 
In this case here, she was a leader of a church. And there's going to be severe punishment on her. And for those that seem to follow. We have to be careful, beloved, because as I said, the gospel message gives, uh, is, is complete. We don't need anything else. Number, number, and the gospel message gives confidence. Did I give you that one? Okay, it gives confidence. Yes, hurry up. You did. Let's go. <laughs> number five, the gospel message goes against culture. I talked a little bit about our culture. I mean, I'm not a, I don't get into social issues really. Only when we talk about what's going on. And he says, but if I, brother, still persecute or preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What Paul, what Paul is referring to here is that he did one time uh, circumcise a believer. Okay? And he circumcised him not because he was a Gentile. He circumcised him because he was a Jew. Timothy. Timothy was half Jew and half Gentile. And as Paul brought him in, he wanted to take him into the synagogues, but he couldn't take him into the synagogues because he hadn't been uh, rightfully circumcised, which he should have been because his mother was a Jew. But the father, he eh, whatever, you know, I don't want him doing that stuff. And so, of course, she submitted to her husband, and, and he was never circumcised. And so because of that, these Judaizers, these people that are disturbing the church, well, he preaches circumcision. He does. He circumcised Timothy. Well, what's, what's, up, what's up with that? So we're doing the same thing, and he says, you don't understand. Let me, let me just share what this Paul says. If I am preaching that, if that's exactly what I'm saying, then why am I being persecuted? Do you know that Jesus Christ himself and all the apostles, he, they were not martyred because they were speaking of Jesus or, or the kingdom or the, the new way of life. They were going against the system. They were going against the traditions and the laws. Jesus always had a word against the hypocrites, against the Pharisees, against the Sadducees. He was going up against the system. Beloved, when you and I, those that are genuine, repented, and uh, re redeemed believers, when you and I start to go under persecution, it's not going to be because you're a Christian. It's going to be because of what I just said a little while ago about women pastors. I'm going up against the system. The laws state I'm going up against this social culture. I'm going up against everything that everyone is buying into because we all want to get along. And it's going to be because I become an enemy of the state. You will be persecuted because you will become an enemy of the state. That is the reason for the persecution. Not because you're a Christian, ultimately that's why. But because of these trumped up charges. If they trumped up charges against Paul, Jesus, and every one of the other disciples, you can bet that they're going to trump up charges against you. You will be ostracized. And that's where your faith is going to have to matter more than anything else. That is why you have to understand what the Bible says about who you are as a Christian, as a believer. That is why doctrine is important. That's why you need to know this. Our church has been here for a very long time. We have gotten to the point where we want to teach the truth because the time is coming, beloved, when all these things are going to just come to fruition. And many of you have already seen, you're seeing this exponentially just grow and develop. You're, you're recognizing this. You, you, you see it. We've been talking about this for years, for centuries. And for, for 1,900 years, people said, how is this ever going to happen? How, how is the Antichrist in this system going to go up against Jerusalem if Jerusalem it belongs to the Muslims? It, it doesn't even belong to the, the, the Israelites. How are the Israelites going to be plundered if they don't even have a homeland? Well, lo and behold, 1948, Israel becomes a state. How are they going to get plundered? They have nothing. There's nothing on that land. What, did you know that they had found a huge reserve of natural gas in that area? And that's where some of the fights and the, the, the problems are coming at? 
I mean, every single step of the way, it has been increasing ever since then, the 1948. And so all of this, beloved, all of this is coming to fruition. I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime. I don't know if it's going to happen in my children's lifetime. If it doesn't happen in my lifetime, I want to prepare my children and my grandchildren. I want to prepare them for what's to come. Because I believe the Word of God. Can somebody say amen? We hold the scriptures in high value. We hold God in high view. We know the place of man. We know where the scriptures lie and where they, and so I want you to know this. And as the best as I know how, I'm going to try to do this through the, the podcast, through Facebook with you and, and share that with others and the, the revivals that we have. I, I really believe that this is the time for calling the church home, calling his elect, bringing them back to where we need to be. You know, and, and, and this ends in a very sad note, as you probably know, in Galatians. He says, you know, I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Paul, Paul is so livid. He says, you know, it's, I just wish that they would just end it all. You know, it's, it's harsh terminology. In that region, there was a, a religion, uh, Sibyl, that what the priests would do and those that were dedicated and committed, they would, they would actually... Um, they would emasculate themselves. They would, and become eunuchs for the priests and, the, and, and all the other ungodly things that they would do. And Paul says, you know, you might as well just go back into the world. Those guys just shouldn't be a part of this fellowship that you're letting them in. I tell you, it divides. And it does. And that's just the Word of God. And that division is going to be more clear as the days approach. So I, I just want to ask you one question. Is God himself tearing within your heart, showing you your sin, showing you how holy he is and how holy you're not? Is he showing you what it is that needs to take place within your life? I'm not going to ask you to stand forward, raise your hand. I'm just asking you to make that repented call right now. Let the Holy Spirit just make that change within your life and follow him in baptism. Let me ask you to stand let me ask you to stand. The gospel message is a command. And it commands you to move forward. In Philippians chapter 1, 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whatever I, whenever I come, or whether I come and see you, or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is a lifestyle that is worthy of that call. If you call yourself a believer, if you have been regenerated, then we need to strive side by side. And we need to focus on only the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of voices out there. And we can let them in and we can kind of, you know, muddle up the gospel and end up back to where we were before. But that's not where we're going. We're going with the message of the cross, of what Jesus Christ did. Why did he die on the cross? Well, because I can't come to God unless something happens. Something supernatural needs to take place in your life. And many of you have experienced that. And some of you are looking for, for okay, what do I do with it? And others are just now starting to realize it. Is that what happened? Or maybe it hasn't happened yet, but it's happening right now. I'm asking you to step forward and follow him in baptism. Father in heaven, thank you again. Thank you, Father, for what, the, what you call us to do. It's a gospel message that you give. Not my gospel message, but yours. 
as Paul is dealing with the people in Galatia, he is sharing with them and telling them that this is not of God. These principles that others are bringing in, these ideas, this philosophy of ministry, this cultural relevance, this uh, traditional sense of what the church is and what it should be, and how we can transform it to be more entertaining, to be more uh, relevant to our culture. Father, we know that your scripture is relevant and it's enough, it's sufficient, it's all we need. We don't need anything else. And I pray, Father, that you uh, just allow your spirit to, to move within each one of us. Give us that command and that power that only comes from your Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you start to convict the hearts even now and show us our sin, that we make that commitment, that we are transformed from the inside out. And I pray, God, that you just lead us in all things. Father, thank you for this time that you give us to be able to connect with you and with each other and for giving us your word that has stood the test of time. Father, as we depart from this place, help us to keep focused on you, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. Uh, we, have a, we have a holiday tomorrow. We have a time of remembrance of those that have laid their life down for us. Uh, we are free because of what these men and women have done in the past. And so many of you are remembering uh, some loved ones, some those that you have lost. And, and I, I just want to encourage you to, to remember that. It's not just a three-day weekend. In, in the process of remembering that, remember the one that gave his life ultimately for all, one, all of us as well, which is Jesus Christ. Memorial Day for us, uh, in that sense, is every Sunday at 1030. Memorial Day for all of us should be um, every day, remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen? Amen. Uh, thank you.